This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. And today you are listening to Parent Footprint, where we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We firmly believe that awareness is the foundation for a vision of successful parenting. And with this increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Parenting to Your Child's Inner Drive with our guest, Wendy Gossett. And let me tell you about Wendy. Wendy is a parenting and relationship specialist based in Denver, Colorado. She's worked with countless parents, helping them to understand their children better by using temperament psychology. She's also worked with many Fortune 500 companies as a trainer and facilitator. And in addition to her expertise in the field of temperament psychology, Wendy has her master's degree with over 20 years of experience in all areas of training, including parenting her own daughter, who is her complete opposite. She's a contributing writer for Denver Parent and Mile High Mamas, and for the past decade, she's been compiling all of her acquired knowledge and experience with families into a comprehensive parenting textbook to help parents have a user manual for their children. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my honor to be here, Dr. Dan. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. You just have such amazing insights and just spot on with, um, you know, just your parenting philosophy and the guests that you have on. So I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being among the wonderful guests that we have. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, you and I have exchanged a lot of email and information uh, about temperament and took me through some of your process, which you're going to be talking to folks about. So let's dive in. Uh, okay. First, first off, how, how did this occur for you getting into using temperament psychology with folks? Well, it was all, it's, it kind of started when I was doing temperament training in the corporate sector but I didn't realize it was starting at that point where I was mm -hmm. doing Myers-Briggs and using David Kiersey and Carl Jung. This is, these are some of the leading psychologists in the area of temperament. Um, but when I had my daughter and, you know, I had, I had two children. My older son was so easy to parent and he was so easy to parent that we went ahead and had child number two 
really quickly while he was still in diapers and child number two. Because it's easy. Exactly. It's so easy. I, you know, and yeah. I was one of those parents that thought, oh, I have this figured out. You know, this parenting business is not that hard. And then my, my daughter came into the world and oh my goodness, it was completely different. And I felt like everything I did was, was wrong. And I was having so much parental guilt because she seemed to be hard of hearing. Like I would, I would, you know, tell her nicely and she wouldn't hear me. And so I'd raise the decibels a little bit more and a little bit more. And pretty soon I was yelling and becoming the parent I didn't want to be. And, and then all of a sudden I had this aha moment that um, something is really different about her. And maybe there's a way that I can figure out how she's wired and I can learn how to view her, not through my lens, but through the lens of her temperament and how she was designed. And so that's kind of how it came to be. And so I, 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 you know, I'd done tons of work with um, both kids, you know, as a, an educator and then as adults and using my knowledge of uh, temperament, I just put together a child temperament test and I realized that my daughter and I are complete opposites in, in every, in every way, shape and form. So, ah, uh, so she, she came to teach you yes. some of life's lessons. So, so, yes. um, what educate us, enlighten us on what is temperament exactly? Yeah. So temperament is, um, it's, kind of your preference. Um, it's your personality. That's a, another word to describe it. But um, every brain, every person's brain has four quadrants. And we are, um, we all use these preferences, thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuition. But we all use these preferences in different order. And how we prefer these makes up our personality or our temperament. And that's where you get the Myers-Briggs letters. Um, that's where you get all these different um, temperament uh, versions of tests that you see out there is, is from these brain functions. And Dario Nardi, who is a psychologist at the UCLA, he's done all these tests on EEG maps and he has found a direct correlation between actual EEG maps and temperament. And so my daughter and I That's put this, fascinating. Yeah, my daughter and I put this into practice. And here in Denver, we both had our brains mapped. And <laughs> my brain lit up in all the areas of feeling and communication. And my daughter's brain lit up in the areas of logic and thinking and um, tactile problem solving. So my brain is number one preference feeling. Her brain is number one preference thinking. And then everybody has a secondary preference, which mine is intuition, which is where my creativity comes from and communication. And my daughter's secondary function is sensing, which is where her tactile intelligence comes from. And why she was into everything when she was a baby and loved to eat dirt and eat sand. <laughs> and <laughs> I could not figure out. I actually worked with an adopted, uh, a mom who had adopted two children. 
And she had, the mother had a really rare temperament. So her lens that she was looking through was really blurred. And when she saw her adopted children, she thought something was wrong with them based on trauma because one of her children that she adopted would run her finger along the bumper of the car and lick it. And I told her the story about Hmm. how my daughter ate dirt. And sure enough, her daughter was the same temperament as my daughter, very sensory um, and using that part of her brain more, that sensory part of the brain. And so same behavior, different lens by which to view the behavior. That's right. So, and, you know, and we tend as parents to see what our child does. We tend to see the behaviors and then we frame those behaviors according, you know, we look at them through our lens, which is a skewed perception. That's a selective attention. So, you know, we're, we're seeing that through a uh, blurred lens. And so, um, I like to say that we need to understand why our child is doing it versus, you know, just seeing what they're doing. And so I like to help parents translate their child's behavior into the drive and the motivation underneath that behavior. So, Mm. you know, if a child says, I don't want to eat dinner right now, and, you know, you're the worst parent in the world kind of thing, there's a different motivation underneath each temperament when they say that. And so, a parent could frame that as you're a disrespectful child and you're being a stinker right now. But the underlying reason for that is temperament driven a lot of the times. And so it, it requires a parent to dig deeper into that. So we always have the debate about nature versus nurture and temperament seems to be one of these things that, you know, we'd be wired this way, and yet we still monkey see, monkey do in some cases, but you and your daughter are very different. So so how do you, how do you see the nature-nurture argument when it comes to temperament and personality? Uh, it's, it's just so fascinating, Dr. Dan, because I have worked with many, many sets of twins, and just hearing the stories of their parents talking about these kids when they were even in the womb, <laughs> when they were womates, right? Bad joke. But um, in the womb, these kids actually switched places before they were born in one case, um, where the leadership personality, um, he decided he wanted to lead the way being born. And from that moment on, he was a leader And his brother was Hmm. the follower. And so this temperament is definitely set at birth. But, you know, Carol Dweck wrote the book Mindset, and she talks about a fixed mindset or the, um, is it the flexible, fixed and Uh, growth, the growth growth, mindset. Yes, and growth mindset. And so temperament is set at birth, but, you know, parents can always nurture um, their children to learn strengths from other personality types. But the point is parents want to go with the flow of their children's temperament in the way that it was set at birth. So psychologists kind of debate about it, but 
they've come to the conclusion that it's 50-50, that personality or temperament comes from 50% nature, 50% nurture. And so the reason I love to test children and the reason when parents test their children, almost, I'd say it's like 90, 92% accurate. I'll throw that too in there. 92% accurate um, that they test their children correctly because they're looking at their child objectively. And when they're looking at their child in the early ages, it's more of that um, raw personality where they haven't been influenced by nurture. They haven't um, learned from society as much how to act. And so when children are little, um, it's a, it's a more true, uh, picture of their temperament than it is when they're an adult. So I would say that, you know, 80% of the time men, um, test incorrectly. And it's because men have this certain uh, standard that they have to reach from our society. They have to make a living. They have to be to work on time. They have to, and it's, and for some reason, women, I realize they are also out there working and having careers as well. But for some reason, women test more accurately than men. And, and maybe it's because men, their identity is made up more of what they do, but they usually test according to their identity at work versus their true identity. You know, and speaking of testing, one of the, I don't know, caveats or one one of the challenges with the testing format is I've heard people say, you know, is this who you are? You're responding as who you are or who you want to be or who you <laughs> think you are, right? Like there's all yeah. these different lenses that you one may or may not be aware. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, in our society, 75% of women are feelers, meaning they look at a situation in a more gray sense. They're more merciful. They're more, they, they just see things uh, differently. And men see things more black and white, more linear, more logically. They, 75% of men are thinkers. And this is across the board with temperament testing. And so if you have a little girl who is born very prickly, meaning she's, you know, she's definitely more of a my way or the highway child, um, she's probably a little thinker. And so she kind of goes against um, 75% of women who are feelers. And so if this child is an observer, um, if she's that observer personality type, she is going to watch and learn from other girls. And so as she grows at a very early age, she's going to start looking more like a feeler, even though her parents know very well that when she was born, she was definitely uh, my way or the highway. I mean, that's how my daughter was. And so, but now she has learned to just be, you know, very loving towards her friends. That's always a good mm -hmm. caveat is mm -hmm. how do they act outside the house versus in the house because, right. or when they're stressed out? Because when they're stressed out, then you kind of see their true colors come out. So it's a matter of learned behavior versus who you truly are, what truly drives you. So at the, you know, at the base level, everybody has one of four drives. 
and it can be as easy as the Wizard of Oz. So the Dorothy just wanted to go home. She was driven by security, the security and safety of home. Um, she's a rule follower. She does things according to what is safe, what society tells us to do. And that is about half the world. And so if you were born as this Dorothy type, um, the ox type, it goes all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, where it talks about the ox, the lion, the eagle, and the human. Um, so Dorothy is that ox type who just wanted safety and security. And so if you were born a rule follower, you can learn all these different behaviors, but you're always going to be a rule follower. And then if you're the lion type, that type is driven by freedom. And so you can learn to go to your job on time and you can learn to meet deadlines and you can look like a Dorothy type who follows the rules, but you know that you have to be free. You have to be your own boss. You don't do well if, you know, you're being told what to do and every move you make is being, you know, monitored. You know that you do much better if you can be your own boss and if you have that freedom. Mm -hmm. And then we have the scarecrow type who's driven by their intellect. You know, the scarecrow just wanted a brain. And, um, and so this person is always going to be driven by ideas and questioning why and, um, just wanting to, um, use their brain, their intellect and, and to feel independent and competent. And then you have the human type or the tin man who just wanted a heart. And this is my type. And, this type is driven by deep relationships, deep meaning, wanting to understand how people tick, and that is never going to change. And um, my daughter is a lion type, and I'm a human type, and lions eat humans. And so <laughs> that's why she and I you know, had, have had our moments, because we are just so different. So... People are wondering, I know people are wondering who are listening, okay, so how do I figure out what my child's temperament is, and then what do I do about it? Yeah, so there's a really, there are a couple of really easy binary coins that can, or binary, um, what would you say, questions to ask. And when your child is really, really young, an infant, or even before age two, you can tell whether that child is a cooperator or a challenger. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cooperator or challenger. And if they're a cooperator, that means they're either the Dorothy type or they're the Tin Man type. And that Dorothy type is the one I said follows the rules. They're a cooperator. They're usually a fairly easy child to parent. Um, they can become a little bit more difficult if they're a thinking version of that type, because then they're going to be extremely um, in the box and they're going to be an extreme rule follower. And so they're going to seem a little bit more prickly and, and not as much like a cooperator. But when they're at school, if they are um, following the rules and getting gold stars and, and then they come home and they kind of turn into the Hulk because they're, you know, just letting down their guard, that's a really good indicator to know that they are this Dorothy 
type, but they're a thinker. Um, they're, you know, more black and white in the way they see things. So, but basically you have the cooperators, which are the Dorothy type and the Tin Man type. And then you have the challengers, which are the lion type and the scarecrow type. And these two challenge because they just want to do what works for them. So even though the teacher is saying, you know, this is the way you do this problem, this, these two are out of the box thinkers. And so if that doesn't make sense to them, they're going to question authority. They're going to say, well, why? Why do I have to do it that way? Um, it makes more sense to do it my way. Um, so perfect examples. My daughter, um, I told her to clean her room when she was about six or seven. And I was not, I didn't have a lot of high hopes for how this was going to turn out. And 10 minutes later, she came to me very proud and said, I, I cleaned my room. And I was very skeptical because it only took her 10 minutes. So I went up to her room and her room was spotless, but she had thrown everything under her bed. And it's clean. Laid, yeah. And later down the road, I realized that that was her practical, efficient, childish way of cleaning her room. She didn't do it my way. She did it what was the way that was more practical and efficient for her. And that's how she's been her entire life. She can look at a situation in the moment, know instantly how to do something the most practical and efficient way. And so, so, you know, so as parents, you can definitely, um, you know, look at your kids that way and, and know that they're either, you know, a feeler or a thinker, they're prickly or they're cooperative, um, or they're a challenger or a cooperator. And so it falls into those four people patterns that way. But then of course you can always take a test for your child and a test, a child test is very accurate because you as a parent observe them and you're able to have an unbiased, um, more of an unbiased view than when you test yourself. Because like you said, a lot of people um, want to be extroverted because our society really um, applauds that trait in people. And so a lot of times when people take a test for themselves, they want to see themselves as more extroverted. And so they'll test themselves that way. Or, you know, if they're taking this test at work and they know their boss is going to see the results, they're going to test themselves more, um, you know, like what they think their boss is going to want to see as far as being on time and meeting deadlines and that kind of thing. Well, and one of the ways, one of the main ways that we are aligned um, with your approach and Parent Footprint is, as you know, Parent Footprint is about knowing oneself as parent in order to be aware of how one is in the world to model appropriate behavior and be mindful about how we are engaging with our kids and what we are teaching them, both directly and indirectly. And you talk about the importance of a parent knowing their own temperament and profile as well. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I heard your amazing podcast with um, the gal who is a expert in neurodiversity. Oh, yes. Dr. Devin. Yes. And she, you know, I noticed that she said that that was her number one thing that she would advocate for is that parents understand their own strengths and their own limitations. And Brene Brown talks about that, about 
letting your imperfections show to your kids and showing your vulnerability. And because kids will, they will try to differentiate from their siblings and they will try to differentiate from their parents. And so if you are self-aware as a parent, you can differentiate for your child. You can help them with that and say, you know, we are very different and we see things extremely differently. And in the case of my daughter and I, we are completely opposite in the way our brains function. And so I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, the Harvard Business Journal actually s- states that the number one quality for a leader is self-awareness. And, you know, mm-hmm. I find that a lot of adults feel like they know themselves but after we have gotten together, there are so many aha moments um, that are happening that they just had no idea. Like I just worked with a parent and child who she is this extremely creative, free spirited type who just loves surprises and just assumes everybody else does too. And her <laughs> daughter was her extreme opposite. She hates su- surprises She's completely in the box. She's completely linear in her thinking. And the mom had no idea that she was stressing her daughter out. And so when we did this family map for them and I lined up all their brain functions, we were able to see on paper where this family were um, connecting or they had these wonderful um, strength areas. But then we saw these enormous um, polar opposite areas that were causing so much trouble. And it's amazing how these areas were just completely unseen because they were just, they were, you were not aware of them. They were not aware of them. And so bringing these areas to the awareness had made has made all the difference with this family and the families that I work with. It, it's just all the difference in the world. I, I feel that that all the relationship problems that occur between marriages, between parent and child, between friendships are all because we have unrealistic expectations of that other person and maybe even unrealistic expectations of ourselves. So if you were going to recommend one thing to a parent listening about understanding their child's inner drive, parenting through understanding their child's inner drive, what would you recommend as a first step, as an important step? Well, definitely to get a true picture of how that child's brain functions. Because so many people will look at my daughter and I and say, wow, you two are exactly alike. She is just a little mini me. And I just want to show them the pictures of our brain maps and say, we are, we could not be more different in the way that we are wired. So um, you can look at your child and think that, oh, they're just like me, when really they're not. There are even two different types of feeling. So I could have a daughter, even though my daughter is a thinker, I could have a daughter who is a feeler, but she could have a totally different type of feeling than I have. I am an extroverted feeler, meaning I talk about my feelings. I need to process my feelings out loud. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I need validation to, uh, 
to feel, you know, good about my decisions. Whereas an introverted feeler is private with their feelings. They don't like to talk about their feelings. Um, they're self-contained. They don't need validation for their decisions. Um, they are more interested in their identity than they are what's going on with other people. And so here you can have two feelers together who are copacetic and they get along, but sometimes they really butt heads and they don't know why. Like I just worked with um, a married couple, uh, two gals who one was an extroverted feeler, one was an introverted feeler, and they could not figure out why they were butting heads. And one of them were like, one of them was like, why can't you be more um, decisive about your decisions? And, you know, once she realized the difference between, between them, um, it was just eye opening for them. And they had, they were able to adjust their expectations for each other because we mm -hmm. always look through our lens and think that what we are seeing is an accurate picture. But it's, it's really not. So I would just really say you need to get an actual, an accurate picture of who your child really is and how their brain functions, because that is what drives them at the deepest level. You were kind enough to allow me to take the inner drive assessment for one of my kids. And, um, I, was wondering if you could let our listeners know what that process is and how you go about using the information to help people understand their kids better. Yeah, so it's really it's a really wonderful process. So the parents take the test for themselves. There's an adult temperament test or an adult inner drive assessment. And like I said, usually the husband's is inaccurate <laughs> and usually the wife's is accurate but sometimes the wife is not accurate either. So the adults, I usually have to work with them. Um, but then the child's test is usually spot on. And, but it's, um, it's a multi-level process where the parents tell me the kinds of problems that are going on in the family or the kinds of, you know, dynamics that are happening there. And then I take that information um, and plug that all in with their test results. And I kind of use it all so it, the test results put me in the right ballpark, but then I will look at these patterns because I've seen thousands of patterns and I'll say, oh, this pattern really does not fit with this test result. And so then I'll just, you know, just like you and I did, Dr. Dan, you know, um, I'll just kind of probe further into that and ask some more specific questions then to get to the bottom of um, what their true temperament is. And so the inner drive assessment is a great starting point. Um, but then there's a lot more that goes on with the assessment in order to get that true picture and that family map where everybody can see their brain functions mapped out in order to find out how they can grow as a family. And it's so helpful in having that lens, that template of uh, explanation of behavior. Like you said, I just want to reiterate the this is the way the person needs to be as opposed to this person is doing this to me. Um, it's like, how do we reinterpret or re-understand behavior so we can come at it differently in a way which is not as conflictual and is more in line with the child's natural uh, flow 
Yes. For lack and, of a better word, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, I saw my daughter instantly, and I've seen this happen with so many people, instantly change the behavior when they started focusing on the positive, when they started focusing on their child's strengths. Um, my daughter and I were so different that I was completely blinded to her strengths because what were differences I was framing as weaknesses. And, you know, so instead of seeing her as being independent and logical, I was seeing her as aloof, aloof and unappreciative. Like I had mm-hmm. a, a, I had a mom tell her daughter who's wired just like my daughter. She actually, before we met, she had her daughter write a hundred times, I will show appreciation or I will say thank you. Well, this daughter didn't know how. I mean, it hmm. it comes naturally to some of us to show appreciation and to show our feelings, but it didn't come naturally for her daughter. And she didn't realize that this was a behavior that she needed to teach her daughter. This was going to be a learned behavior for her daughter. But um, instead of focusing on what wasn't there, I call them notifications, what is hmm. not there about mm-hmm. your child, focusing on what is there and, and what you can cultivate in them. And, um, and that's how my book is designed is sadly, as parents, often we can see their, our child's weaknesses easier than we see, can see our, their strengths. And right. that's just natural because before a child matures and, you know, before their brain is fully developed, you're going to see a lot more weaknesses in them. And so the way my book is designed is you can actually look up the weakness of that child's temperament and beside the weakness is the shadow strength for your child. So that every Excellent. time you see them being anxious or worried you realize, well, that's because they're so thoughtful and they're so caring and they want to do it the right way. And so you just want to help them gain more balance in that strength and teach them how to use that strength correctly rather than focus on the weakness. I love that. It's focusing on what's right with our kids instead of what's wrong with them. And I love how you organized your book because we definitely all are attracted to the what's wrong first, and then we're going to turn it on end and focus on the positive. Right. Okay. So it's that time, Wendy, for the parent footprint moment question. Are you ready? I'm ready. I am ready. Okay. This, was a, this was a tough one, but go ahead. Okay. I got to set it up. So a time where you became aware of yourself as a parent or an individual, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child? Yes. So this, it was hard to think of that actual moment, but I think something pretty profound happened um, after my dad's death. My, My father was killed instantly in a car crash on Interstate 25 in Colorado. Mm. Um. And my mom didn't have a scratch. And um, I had never had a good relationship with my mom growing up. Um, I'm a total feeler. And my mom, I didn't realize it growing up, but she is a thinker. She is not comfortable sharing or showing a lot of emotion. And as far as the four functions of the brain goes, she's a sensor. 
And so her environment, what she sees with her eyes and what she smells and, you know, anything involving her five senses or her physical environment, that's what's most important to her. So growing up, when she was all bent out of shape, when it blew outside and there were sticks in her yard, she would come unglued over the sticks in her yard. And I used to think that was the most shallow, superficial, awful thing to be concerned about. I thought, why is my mom like this? And, you know, so we had this prickly relationship because the things she valued were so different from the things I valued. And so I just completely, um, you know, didn't appreciate her. And so I realized after my father's death and my mom took it so well. I mean, she, we were at the zoo a few months after his death and there was a, an ostrich doing a really funny, you know, thing, an ostrich dance, my mom calls it. And she was just laughing and she's had the joy of a child. And when she walks on her trail and looks at birds and just notices her environment she is happy and content. She's so happy and content with the most simple things in life. And I thought, what a gift that is. And I wish I could be more like that. And all of a sudden I'm like, I am now admiring my mom and wishing Mm. I could be like her. And then it dawned on me that my daughter and I have the same thing going on where my daughter Mm. is the thinker. I'm the feeler. And I realized that I can break that legacy because I am letting my daughter know that she and I are different, that we can be each other's sandpaper, where we are sanding off each other's rough edges, and she can make me a better person, and hopefully I can make her a better person. And I wish I'd have known this about my own mom growing up to focus on her strengths and what I can learn from her versus, you know, the expectations of she's not the mom that I always thought I would have or dreamed that I would have. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a powerful story. Um, I'm sorry about your father and um, I can only imagine. And what that opened in terms of what you saw in your mom is, uh, I'm pondering, I'm processing, um, and mm-hmm. but what a what a gift, what a gift for you to have that and to um, for to be such an impact on your own relationship with both your mom, but and your daughter as well. Yes, and you know it's been a it's been really interesting because I've worked with several people in helping them find forgiveness with their parent, and you know by changing their expectations, because once again, expectations are everything. And so when you can have realistic or appropriate expectations for your kids, as well as for your own parent, it can really bring about this new freedom and this new acceptance and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing all of your experience and wisdom with us today. Please tell everyone where they can um, they can find you, find your tools, find your consultation, and of course, find your upcoming book. Of course, I am at wendygossett.com. 
And it's kind of funny, Dr. Down, because I went viral a few months ago worldwide because I am known as Wendy Gossett, the dancing mom who embarrasses her child. Because the Backstreet Boys came on the radio and I started dancing on the interstate. <laughs> and my son had his ears plugged, my 17-year-old son, because he was so embarrassed. And um, so, yeah, so if you Google the name Wendy Gossett, <laughs> that will come up. But you'll also find my tools. You'll find the inner drive assessment and um, the way I work with parents. And also information about my upcoming book, which is called your child's inner drive parenting by personality from toddlers to teens. And I even talk about babies in every temperament section. I talk about babies as well and what to look for in even the youngest um, little infant to kind of find their personality. So, Well, everyone check out Wendy's information. I have personally experienced a, um, a test drive and it was really helpful in helping me understand one of my children and definitely validated, uh, mine and my wife's experience with this child. So check out her wonderful information. Look forward to your book coming out and, um, thank you for, uh, helping us understand our kids inner drive. Appreciate it. Oh, and I have I have a, a freebie out right now too. I have a free ebook that's um, kind of a compilation of everything I've learned over the years um, working with temperament, and that is fourteen instant ways to connect with your child. And so that's something free that your listeners can get. And also, I wanted to offer um, my inner drive child assessment for free to your listeners. So all they have to do is Wonderful. Go, to, go to wendygossett.com. And when they're at checkout, they can enter the word navigate, but um, it's an eight at the end. So navigate with an eight. So N-A-V-I-G and then the number eight is the, the code. So um, maybe you could put that in the show notes, but um, they can get my child inner tra- um, drive test for free. Um, for listening to your podcast. Wonderful. Thank you for that offer. Check it out, everyone. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. Okay, that concludes our show for today. We're at the end, and we're at the beginning. What I want you to think about is how to be the person you want your child to become. Parent with intention and purpose. Think about your child's inner drive. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?